and just the whole theme of this morning has been about lifting up Jesus Christ, and uh, I hope that we would do that every single day. I love Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church. This is, it was mentioned earlier, a place to call home. This is my home, and my family is hours away across the country, and many of you call me, uh, I'm your adopted son, and I've truly adopted our family, and I love you for that. I love this church. Uh, it's been about five years next month uh, that I came out for the first time, as uh, Pastor Bain put it, to view the walls of Shenandoah. And I came out, just uh, my wife and I, and we didn't even have DJ yet then. And we came out and uh, we just fell in love with the place. We fell in love with you. <clears throat> and I went back uh, to uh, my home and was just, I was so excited, I, I just, I couldn't stop dreaming. Literally at night I would dream about working here and I'd only been here for three days. And uh, I just came uh, back and I just knew, I was never more certain that this was God's will for me and my family to come here to Shenandoah. And uh, four and a half years later, uh, being full-time staff here, I still have dreams about, even at home, of getting to come back and work here. Every single day, I, I just, I look forward to coming to work here at Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church in Martinsburg Christian Academy. And uh, I love this place. I love you. I love coming in here. There's a spirit. Uh, there's a, a spirit of revival, and uh, I love our new pastor, Pastor John. And I, I, I want to commend you as a church. This is my church. I commend you as a church for just putting your arms around him and his family and just bringing him into the family and loving him immediately and how awesome that is. And uh, by the way, I do want to say thank you to Pastor for the opportunity to preach here. And uh, it is, I never take it lightly. Uh, one of the biggest uh, moments of my life is always to preach behind this pulpit. I do not take it for granted at all. Would you turn to Genesis chapter 38? I know we started in Proverbs 22. And uh, Miss Pam, how many of you know Miss Pam? She told me, keep it short. We want to be out before noon. And I, one of the first things I learned four and a half years ago is what Miss Pam wants, Miss Pam gets. All right? And uh, I love you, Miss Pam, and you're going to get it. And uh, it just seems about that way. Whenever a pastor is out of town, the service goes quick. The pre-service before the message, it goes quick. I'm like, sing another verse, would you? You know, and, uh, but anyway, Genesis chapter 38. We do have some time. Uh, if you went to Shooter's Expo last couple of days, would you stand, please? If you went to Shooter's Expo, would you stand for me, please? And what a wonderful time we had at uh, Brother Denny Corll's uh, place up there shooting. If you want an award, remain standing. If you want an award, remain standing. These are the men that did something good. And uh, <laughs> give them a round of applause for getting an award. And uh, thank you. It has been said that it is also called the Eater's Expo. That's literally the only reason why I went up there. And their food is amazing, and it is nonstop. And you will definitely gain a few pounds. I know that I did. Hallelujah. And what's the old saying? I'm starting the diet on Monday. And we'll see next Monday. <laughs> All right, and uh, I know the time is early, and I promise you we will get out before noon, Miss Pam. I promise. But I am still on a little bit of a high from camp, and a teen camp was amazing. The, the, just the spirit, the revival. And one of the things we learned at camp was the West Virginia thunderstorm. 
and I wanted to see if we might be able to try this out. This might be a complete dud, but how many of you like to have a little bit of fun? Good. All right. I've been here for four and a half years. I like to have a little bit of fun. And if you know me at all, I love to cut up. I like to crack jokes. But I want to see if we can do it this morning. All you have to do is follow directions. And uh, we'll see if we can do that this morning. All you have to do is follow what I, what I do. All right. So what we're going to do is break the sanctuary up into a few different sections. See if we can follow. This is section one. All right. Section two. Section three. Four, five, and six. Platform guys, choose a section. Uh, and uh, balcony, you'll be section seven. All you have to do when I point to you, just do what I do. All right, maybe you've seen this before, teens. If you're at camp, we saw this. Section two, do not start till I point at you. All right, we had trouble with this at camp. All right, so don't start till I, I point at you. How many of you think we could do this? We'll see. All right. The other day, I called Brother Trumpy, and uh, I was going to go sight in my guns. And he said, well, it's pouring down rain here. I said, you give it 10 minutes, it'll be gone. He called me 10 minutes later, it's gone. So we're going to see if we can get a West Virginia thunderstorm in here. So section one, don't leave me hanging. Here we go. And everyone's got to be quiet. So let's see if we can do it. Here we go. Section one, just do this. Just rub your hands together. Okay. Keep going, section one. Keep going. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. You can hear it. Oh, you hear that rain? Oh, there's lightning. out of breath. <laughs> Woo. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 38. Get more serious now. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I haven't been working out lately. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to start off by telling two stories that don't seem related at all. And, but we're going to see by the end how God ties them together to a beautiful story, to a beautiful ending. The first story is in Genesis 38. And uh, I'm going to grab a drink of water. Man, Brother Williams, don't try this. <laughs> <clears throat> and this story is found right in the middle of the story of Joseph. It's unusual. Joseph is, uh, he had just been thrown into the pit by his brothers. 
They hated him so much, and then they were going to kill him. But his oldest brother Judah said, look, instead of killing him, why don't we get some money out of him? And so they sell him into slavery. And then we find in Genesis chapter 38, almost a parenthesis, almost an addendum. It's like, where and why is this story in the Bible right in the middle of Joseph? We're learning about Joseph, and then in 38, we learn about this man named Judah, the oldest son of Jacob. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons, and Judah was the oldest. Judah is supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the one that sets the standard high for his family. And yet we see a mark against him in Genesis chapter 38. It says here in verse 38, And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at uh, Chizib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. So these are the main characters, Judah, uh, Ur, Onan, and Tamar. All right? The Bible says that uh, Judah's son Ur was so wicked, in fact, we can see it here in verse 7, and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Ur was so wicked that God looked down from heaven and said, oh, time's done. And the Lord slew him. Judah's second son, Onan, again, was so wicked, God looked down from heaven and said, yep, your time's done too. Well, that leaves, or Ur had married a wife named Tamar. So if we put this together, Tamar would be Judah's daughter-in-law. And Tamar now does not have any kids. And the culture at that time was that we have to have a boy to carry on the family name. I need to have a child. So Tamar goes to her father-in-law and says, God's killed my, uh, my husbands and I don't have any kids. And Judah says, well, you wait for my youngest son to grow up and you can marry him. Just a, it's an odd story. Tamar, she gets a little impatient. And about that time, Judah's wife passes away. So now she's without a mother-in-law. <clears throat> Judah decides he's going to go on a, uh, a far trip to console himself. And again, Tamar gets impatient. She wants a child. She doesn't want to wait for Judah's youngest son to uh, grow up. So she does something very wicked. She disguises herself, covers her face, and she, the Bible says she dresses as an harlot. And she finds where Judah is traveling back. She figures out what road is he going to travel back on. The Bible says that she disguises herself, dresses herself as a harlot, goes to the road, sits on the side of the road, and she's waiting for her father-in-law to come down the road to entice him. And we can read in verse 15 how God puts it. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. 
for he knew not what she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. And we can skip to verse 23. And Judah said, uh, Let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. Judah says, I'll give you my, my ring, my signet, my bracelet, my staff, all of these things, until I can send a kid to pay you. Judah sins, Tamar sins. And Judah can't find this lady to pay her. Well, he thinks, it's done. Whew, maybe I got away with it. No one will know. The Bible says in verse 24, and it came to pass about three months after, that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth and let her be burnt. He, again, he doesn't know Tamar was the, the person he had laid with. And he finds out his daughter-in-law is pregnant. She doesn't have a husband. She must have played the harlot. Burn her! Isn't it something how you and I, when we see someone else's sin, we become the righteous judge, but when it's our sin, we kind of, oh, grace, mercy. And he's looking for judgment on his daughter-in-law. But Tamar comes before him and he goes, Who's the man that you slept with? Well, she pulls out the staff, the signet, the bracelet, and says, The owner of this right here. Oh, and Judah got red-faced and was ashamed and kept her alive because he was the one that sinned. A few months later, Tamar is having kids. She's having her, she finds out she has twins. And that's where we find the main uh, character in our story. <clears throat> and it says in verse uh, 28, excuse me, 27, And it came to pass in the time of her tra travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth this breach? be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Phares. Who's this man, Phares? You look at this young boy, this baby, born into this family. Let's see what he's got going for him. Father's a murderer, sold his brother into slavery. His father's an adulterer, a liar, cheater. You put any label on Judah. This is Phares's father. Wicked. His mother has played the harlot. It's a prostitute. Wicked. Sinful. His two uncles were so wicked, God looked down from heaven and said, your time's up. And killed him. Phares didn't have anything going for him. In fact, if he had just was born, lived, and died, people probably would have thought, hey, that's, he did okay. In fact, his literal, the literal meaning of his name means broken. People looked at Phares and said, he's got nothing going for him. He's broke. His whole family life is broken. 
He'll never amount to anything. He's got nothing going for him. That's Pharaoh's. Turn with me, if you will. We'll go to the second part of our story, Ruth, book of Ruth. Book of Ruth. <clears throat> 400 years later, let's fast forward 400 years later. We meet a whole new set of people, a whole new story. It's the story of the characters in this story. whole new group of people is Elimelech. He's the father, the husband, the wife, Naomi. Elimelech and Naomi, they're in Bethlehem, Judah. Place of bread, house of bread is what their city was called. A famine comes to the land and instead of staying and trusting in God's provision, they go down to the city of Moab to the world and say, hey, I found a place over here that has bread. I'll, though I may lose my family, I'm going to just go survive and go down to Moab. Him, his wife, and his two sons. His two sons were Malan and Chilion. Down in Moab, the Moabites, that's where we get that from, uh, Malan and Chilion find two wives. One is Orpah and one is Ruth. Obviously the namesake of this book. Now, uh, Elimelech, Malan, and Chilion, all three of them die. So Ruth is uh, left with two daughters-in-laws. And Ruth says, look, I'm going to go back to my family I'm not going to stay here in Moab. I'm going to go find someone that can take care of me. Stay here in your country and find another family. Orpah says, all right, that's what I'll do. Kissed her and said goodbye. Ruth said, nope, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to follow your God. I'm following you back to Bethlehem. And Mar or, excuse me, Naomi gets so uh, bitter by her sons and her uh, husband passing away. She says, look, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. She changes her name to Bitter. Is very bitter at the whole circumstance. And so Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem, Judah, where Ruth starts working in the wheat fields. And in the wheat fields, uh, at that time, the custom was that if any wheat was dropped on the ground, that the poor people could come and pick it up. It was a way of helping. And there in that wheat field is a man who owned the field. His name was Boaz. And Boaz looks across the field and he sees Ruth. And he goes, she looks pretty good. She's pretty pretty. <clears throat> and he tells his servants, hey, leave some extra wheat for that lady, Ruth. I like her. And as time uh, perspires, they, uh, uh, Ruth and Boaz, they start to talk in. And you know the end of the story. They, they come together and they're, uh, they're ready to be wed. And Ruth and Boaz come together and there was another claim on Ruth by a closer family member who gave up that claim to Boaz. And so Boaz and Ruth, uh, we, we're here in Ruth chapter 4, they're on their wedding day. I sped through uh, three or four chapters there really quick for sake of time. But Ruth and Boaz, just think of the setting, they're on their wedding day. Ruth chapter 4. And I remember on my wedding day, maybe yours was the same, where we had a book out where people could sign the book and give us words of wisdom. Uh, and I remember people signed, you know, don't go to bed angry, give your wife a lot of money, you know, <laughs> give her whatever she wants, you're either right or you're the husband, whatever. 
And, uh, but that's what was happening kind of on their wedding day. People were giving words of wisdom to them. And in Ruth chapter 4, let's look at verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. Do thou worthily in Ephraim be famous in Bethlehem. Look at verse 12. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. You know, back in the 90s, there was a famous basketball player coming through the ranks. <clears throat> in fact, he was so famous, I was named after him. My first name's Jordan. My dad loved Michael Jordan. My whole room was covered in Chicago Bulls uh, paraphernalia. And uh, he's ashamed of me because I never play basketball. I hate basketball. But anyway, <laughs> never lived up to my name. But in the 90s, there was a big saying, be like Mike. And that's what these people were saying, not be like Mike. <laughs> they didn't know him. They said, be, let thy house be like the house of Pharez. Something tells me within, uh, something happened in Pharez's life that people were saying, hey, I want your house to be like Pharez. Pharez has turned his whole life around so much that people said, hey, let your house be like Pharez. Something happened. Something, we're, we don't get the details on what happened. But at the end of his life, everyone, 400 years later, was saying, be like the house of Pharez. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. What your name represents and what it stands for is your choice. It is no one else's. Pharez had everything against him. Pharez had every circumstance to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to turn out. People just expect me to survive. People are calling me broken. I don't have to do anything. And yet 400 years later, people are saying, and let thy house be like the house of Pharez. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 1, don't turn there, but Matthew chapter 1, he's also named in the lineage of Christ. How awesome that Pharez decided, you know what, I don't care what my daddy did. I don't care what my mama did. I don't care what my uncles did. Hey, I'm going to make my own name. I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do it because I want to honor God with my life. And people are going to look at me and say, let my house be like the house of Pharez. You know, I can't tell you what he did do, but I can tell you some things he didn't do. He didn't allow the sins of his family to dictate how he would act. Some of you come from homes where the dad is a drunkard, where the, the, the mom is a drug addict, where you come from a broken home and my heart breaks for you. But you don't have to turn out that way. You don't have to let that be your lineage. Just because daddy did it, just because mama did it, doesn't mean you have to do it. You have a, an obligation to Christ to do right. He, he didn't allow the sins of his family to dictate how he would act. 
The Bible says in Ezekiel 18:20, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. Just because your family does is known for a certain sin doesn't mean you have to follow in the same footsteps. Well, my dad's angry, so I'm angry. My dad's a drunk, so I'm a drunk. No, you make your own choices. <clears throat> Here's Joseph, Pharez's grandpa. You look at Abraham, adulterer. Isaac, sin. Uh, Jacob, sin. Liar, trickster, deceiver. <sighs> Yet Joseph was able to break the family mold and ran from temptation. He said, I don't have to follow the sins of my fathers and forefathers. Just because your family sins doesn't mean you have to sin. <clears throat> you know, we, we're coming back from camp, and many of you have made decisions for Christ, teenagers. Many of you have made life-changing decisions. And you go home, and maybe the home life's not the same as what was at camp. You can still choose to say, hey, I'm going to do right. Here's Pharez. He said, I don't care what they did in the past. I don't care uh, that I'm known for the sins of my fathers and my uncles. I'm going to change my name around. A good name is rather to be chosen. <clears throat> hey, number next, he didn't allow what his name meant to stay that way. His name meant broken. People looked at him and said, he's a broken man. He's a broken kid. He's, he'll never turn out. And yet he changed it to where everyone looked at him and said, I want to be like that. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 7, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Hey, aren't you glad the Bible says he gives us a new name when we get saved? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That Christ doesn't hold the sins that we've done in the past against us. Hey, what you represented before salvation doesn't stick with you for all eternity. It, your name means forgiven, saved, on your way to heaven. Don't allow the meaning of your name to stay that way. You know, you look at Naomi who changed her name to Mara, to Bitter. Don't allow your name to stay the way it was before you got saved. Some of you are holding on to past sins and failures and allowing it to define who you are as a person. Oh, I messed up. You don't know what I've done. Christ says, forgiven. It's under the blood. Move past it. Move on and serve Christ with your life. Here's Jacob. He's known as a trickster, a deceiver. Then he wrestles with God, and Christ changed his name to Israel. He can change your name today if you'd let him. There's a, maybe some of you may know this name, Carl Hatch. Carl Hatch was a drunk, him and his wife Ruby. Poor, destitute, lived out of a car. One night, sleeping in their car, Ruby leaned over to Carl and said, Is this as good as it gets? Carl says, I don't know. A couple weeks later, someone found them and was able to lead them to Christ. Carl Hatch, if you know anything about him, became one of the greatest soul winners this country has ever seen. You never wanted to take Carl Hatch out to dinner. Why? You'd go to eat with him, you'd get to the table, and you'd, he'd say, did you pray over the meal? And you'd say, no. He goes, well, stand up and pray over the meal. Hey, over there at that table, did you pray over the meal yet? No? All right. He's going to pray over the meal. Hey, everyone in the restaurant, have you prayed over the food yet? No? All right. He's going to stand and pray over your meal. Before he does that, though, he's going to tell you how you can get to heaven. 
and he'd have you uh, give the whole plan of salvation at the restaurant. Became one of the greatest, boldest soul winners this country's ever seen. Changed his name around from drunk to a soul winner. <clears throat> now I think of Jack Hiles, a great man of years gone by that was born of a drunk. His daddy was a drunk. Poor, wasn't the most athletic, wasn't the, uh, the most bombastic, wasn't even the greatest preacher, and yet God used him to build one of the greatest, largest churches in America. What your name represents today doesn't have to stay that way. Maybe your name is known for lying, for deceiving, for gossip, for criticism. You can change that today. Don't allow your name to stay that way. Let it stand for, for Christ. <clears throat> I can give illustration out of, out after illustration, but time prevents me. Number next, he didn't quit. Perez could have quit. Once again, he could have said, look, my daddy's sinned greatly. My mom sinned greatly. My uncles were killed by God. I'm done. I'm just going to sit back and just survive. But he didn't quit. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Even when the naysayers came along and said, Pharez, don't you know your name represents broken? It literally means broken. He said, I'm going to keep pressing on. And 400 years later, people are saying, Let thy house, let thy name be like the name of Pharez. You know, I love what we taught about it this morning when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating dr great drops of blood. His heart is literally breaking inside of him. And he's crying out to God, let this cup pass from me. What, is, what does the Bible say? He went a little further. And he went a little further. Maybe you're here this morning and you teach Sunday school. You run a bus route. You're going out soul winning. And you're tired. You're exhausted. You've been in church decade after decade. And you're ready just to quit. Don't quit. We've got people looking at you, Shenandoah. The whole world is looking to see if Shenandoah is quitting. We don't need quitters. We need more people getting in the fight. Fighting for Christ. Fighting for the gospel. Don't quit. Some of you have been praying for a lost family member year after year after year. Don't quit praying. Some of you, I, I don't know how many times they get approached. Well, I'm going to take a little break. Break from ministry. And I'm all for getting a vacation and taking a couple of weeks off. But these uh, people come up to me and say, well, I'm just going to take, let, let the younger people do it. And I'll just kind of sit back and enjoy church for a while. And that pretty soon I never see them anymore. They quit. They quit. Shenandoah needs more people that don't quit. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as everyone of us sometimes learns, and many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to feign in a faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint to the clouds of doubt. And when you never can tell how close you are, it may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worst 
You must not quit. Lee Robertson was asked, again, another man of years gone by, served in the ministry, pastored for decades. Asked him, how did you survive all of those decades of ministry? He said, I survived the quitting places. I just kept going on. Even when I felt like quitting, I just kept going on and trusting in God and getting close to the Lord. Don't quit. Some of you are church hopping and saying, hey, is this the right church for me? Is it, maybe, maybe the flavor is not exactly what you like. Hey, you're in God's house with God's man. and Don't you quit on Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church. Don't you quit on this place. Stay. Stick it out. Don't quit. Number next, we're almost done. He didn't give excuses. He didn't give excuses. He had every excuse in the book to quit. Fayrez could have said, look at my family. I can't succeed. He could have given every excuse and everyone would have said, you know what, buddy, have a seat. You're good. He didn't give excuses. Some of you, you, you have some pretty good excuses. You could come up here and make us all weep with the story and the life that you've led. But that gives you no excuse to keep pressing on for Christ, to do something with your life for Christ. You have zero excuse because as we learned this morning in Sunday school how Christ took those beatings on the cross for us, took that crown of thorns and was nailed and shed his blood for us. We have no excuse not to serve God with our lives. The, the most Christ could do was to die for us. The least we could do is to live for him. It's my last point and I'm almost done. He didn't get bitter at God for the life he had. I deal with counseling a, a good bit. Biggest thing I counsel on every time, bar none, nine times out of ten is bitterness. People holding on to past hurts. People holding on to things that should have been water off a duck's back. And the devil gets in their heart and in their life and allows that root of bitterness and just throws that seed of bitterness in their heart. And it springs up in them and the Bible says whereby many are defiled. He could have gotten bitter at his whole family and said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to turn out. Look at my family. Some of you are holding on to past hurts. And you can see it in your face. And every time you, someone talks to you, it comes out in your heart and in your mouth and your, in, in your words. I don't know about you, but I want to be like this guy, Fares, who didn't hold on to the bitterness of his family. He could have, but he didn't get bitter. Fares was able to turn his name around for the glory of God. Everyone wanted to be like Fares. You know, in our closing minutes... Maybe today you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never heard of how a loving Savior, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for you and can give you a new name, can give you that title of Christian that can save you, come into your heart and save you and take you to heaven when you die. This is the place to do it, where that new name is written down in glory. You can get that done today. We'll have assistant pastors here on the front show you from the Bible where God does not lie and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with what your name means now. What does your name mean today before God? Written down here, loved. When God looks at you, he says, I love you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is like. I don't care what people call you. When God looks at you, he says, I love you. Forgiven. He looks at you and thinks, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. His child, 
redeemed, his own. He'll never give you up. He'll never let anything pluck you out of the Father's hand. That's what God sees when he looks at you. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and ask God to help you with some of these things. So how you're holding on to what your family's sins are? Is it changing what your name is known for? Are you on the verge of quitting on God? Are you holding on to bitterness, some past hurts that you just need to let go? Whatever it is this morning, would you come to the altar and give it to God? Every head bowed, every eye closed, every head